Now this morning we will again continue in our uh, study on prayer. And by the way, prayer is a good thing. Prayer is not in any way boring. Uh, we've entitled this series of messages as Lord Teach Us How to Pray. And we pointed out there that prayer is not something that, that is learned or that is automatically there or knowing how to pray is something that is learned. It is something that is modeled. And uh, I know about you, but in the early days of my Christianity, you listen to people praying and think, oh, I wish I could do that or I wish I would know what to say and everything. But, you know, after a while we get a handle on this thing, we learn the word and we watch other people pray and we listen and we, 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 we learn the word and so forth. The next minute prayer just becomes... Uh, just second nature, really. Uh, this morning, um, the subtitle of the message is Learning to Pray the Prayers of Paul. And when we say Paul, we mean not Paul your neighbor, but Paul the Apostle. And how do you know that there was an apostle in the Bible called Paul? And in fact, he wrote a good hunk of the New Testament. He had much to say about prayer. And I wished we had time to cover everything, but we haven't. But we can get to some of the things that he said. And I trust that our prayer lives will be enriched as a result of that. In fact, how many of you, and really just asking an honest question, uh, requesting an, an honest answer, how many of you have found that this teaching on prayer has enriched your prayer life already? Uh, and that you're praying differently already, you're praying you know, more and you're praying more effectively and, uh, and no doubt uh, seeing more answers to prayer. Uh, and that's absolutely wonderful. I would like to start by reading uh, James chapter 5, verse 16. And of course, this is not Paul's writing. This is James's writing. All right. Uh, and there's a fantastic verse of scripture here that really stirs me every time I read it. It says in verse 16, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results. All right. So when we pray, there's great power released and it produces wonderful results. That's why we adopt the phrase and we say prayer changes things. All right, If there's things that we don't like, if there's things that need changing, we can change them by praying into that situation, praying to God. The Amplified Translation says, The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available and is dynamic in its working. All right, so it's dynamic in its working, dyna, dynamo, dynamite power. It's dynamic in its working. And so we're not just speaking words, we're releasing uh, power. And of course, that's the whole deal, that our prayers release God's power and makes it available to us and to those that we pray for. All right, and so uh, this morning I would like to, as I said, look at some of the prayers, not all the prayers that Paul prayed, but some of them. I use them extensively. Uh, in my prayer life, uh, because uh, you know it's like a, it's it's all right to know that we should pray, but how do we pray, and what do we pray, and what words do we use in prayer? So I'm trusting that this teaching today is going to help you. Uh, for some of you, of course, you, you're already functioning in this area. For others of you, it's like, wow, I'm going to lay a hold of that, and I'm going to make that work for me. So let me just open with a word of prayer, and let's trust God to speak to us again. Today, Heavenly Father, we once again, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that, uh, Lord, that you're present by the power of your spirit to illuminate the eyes of our understanding, to show us things that we have not seen before. Lord, to bring us to a place of revelation and to bring us to a place of transformation. And we thank you, Father, that our lives are changing. They're changing for good. And, Lord, your hand is upon our lives. And we thank you, Father, that all of our affairs are blessed 
in Jesus' name, amen. Learning how to pray the prayers of Paul. You know, much of the teaching on prayer in the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, much of the teaching on speaking in tongues is written by Paul. And I'm hoping that we can come back to some of that again. And this is like, wow, you know, if, 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 uh, if uh, speaking in tongues were taken out of my, out of my prayer vocabulary, or prayer ability, it would reduce down my prayer life by 90%. Because <laughs> I speak in tongues a lot. All right. In fact, Paul the Apostle says, I speak in tongues more than you all. So that should stir us up that he had a revelation. Paul had a revelation more than a lot of his other contemporaries at the time because he was a man that uh, availed himself of that gift of speaking in other tongues. We spoke about that, was it last week? And I trust that you stirred up in this whole area last week, week before. Whenever it was, it happened just a little while ago. And so let's live in all of that. So most of the prayers that Paul prayed are intercessory types, type of prayers, meaning that he prayed for other people. Paul, the church planter, Paul the apostle, uh, planted churches, and then he appointed elders there and he moved on again, but he kept on praying for them until Christ would be formed in them, for them to mature, for them to reach out and to share the gospel with other people, to do all of these things. Uh, and... Uh, and so they're intercessory type prayers. Now we can confidently pray the same prayers and expect God's power to be released into people's lives. Um, I am very confident that uh, many, many people's lives are improved and they've received breakthrough as a result of my prayers. All right, this is not a prideful statement in any way. This is not about, wow, or everybody look at me. I mean, all of us that are praying people, we can say, we can make that statement that many people, their lives are better today. Many people are saved. Other people had a breakthrough in their lives because of our prayers. All right? So if that's so, it stirs me up to do more praying rather than less and to pray more effectively. And so I trust that uh, today's teaching will help us to just uh, sharpen our prayer life a little bit. Of course, the same prayers can be, uh, the same specific prayers can be prayed for ourselves as well. Then they're not intercessory prayer, then we're just praying for ourselves and nothing wrong with that. I remember the teachings of Kenneth Hagin. He said that uh, one of those prayers uh, that we're coming to, uh, he prayed that for himself over a period of six months every day. And it's the prayer about receiving revelation knowledge and uh, that the eyes of his understanding will be enlightened. And he says uh, in that six months period, or more towards the end, he says he received more revelation in that period than in years and years of his Christianity prior to that. So God answers prayers. Um, and uh, so anyway, uh, three of the main areas covered in those prayers are, number one, receiving wisdom and revelation knowledge. Number two, being filled with the knowledge of God's will. In other words, understanding what God's will is for our own individual lives. And number three, being strengthened by God's Spirit. Now, they are not the only prayers that Paul prayed. They're not the only areas that he prayed for. But I feel that with the time that we have today to pick up on those prayers today. Um, and also, rem remembering that people have all kinds of needs in their lives. All kinds, like multiple, multiple needs. We could spend days praying to God and listing all of their specific needs 
such as more money, better jobs, better sleep, better marriage. You know that the cat's not so whiny. We've got a very whiny cat these days. Like I said, what's wrong with the cat? Why does the cat whine? We need to pray. My cat needs ministry. And, uh, but the dog's good. <laughs> okay. And so we're praying for the cat. And, you know, there's oh, multiple, multiple prayer needs uh, that I feel better. You know, that all, all of these needs. And so we could literally write a list, a screed of needs, and just spend hours and days going through this, Lord, this, Lord, that, Lord, the other, and everything. But, you know, we need to recognize that most of these needs, most of these needs are sub-needs in people's lives. And those sub-needs exist because there are main needs in their lives. How many of you understand that? There's main needs, the real big stuff, and then there's a lot of that little stuff. Now, the little stuff has its way of, of making out that it's the big stuff. Well, if I only had more money, it would fix all my problems. <laughs> it wouldn't. It wouldn't. You know the old saying that, uh, you know, if somebody's hungry, you give them a fish, they can eat, and then they're satisfied. But the very next day, they're hungry again. And the old adage, they say, if you teach them how to fish, then they become self-reliant, and then their problems and the issues are fixed. And so more money doesn't just always fix people's problems. And more money, as I say, money is one of those things that, sure, it's important, and sure, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's quite a deal, it's a big deal. But, you know, there is a bigger issue, there's a bigger need in our lives than the need for money. All right? So all of these needs are valid, but uh, a lot of them are sub-needs. Everybody says sub-need. Sub-need. And there's the main need. You know how on the, on the, on the roads we've got, we got main thoroughfares, we've got motorways, we've got the main roads, and then we've got these little side streets. <laughs> a lot of these needs in people's lives are little side streets. You know, while you're on it, you think that's the only street there is, but that's not true. All right, there's main streets, there's main thoroughfares, there's main, main issues. And you might say, well, where do you get that from? Well, here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, then all your other needs will be met as well. Isn't that powerful? He says, seek first God's kingdom, what God wants. Yeah, people say, well, what about my wants? I, I want things. Yeah, but God wants things as well. And God's more important than us. All right? So if we take care and, and do live seeking God and, and His righteousness and His kingdom and, and what God wants, which is a main need, then all of these other needs in our lives will be met as well. So that's where we get the, the thing of main needs and sub-needs. Does everybody understand that? This is real big. All right. So here we go. The greatest main need in a spiritually lost person's life is salvation. Greatest main need. All right. You know, like they could be thoroughly blessed in this life and have all the money and all the health and, you know, they are still going to die one day. And if they're not safe, they're still going to go to hell. So the main need in a spiritually lost person, in an unsaved person's life, is salvation. And that should have a big S on it. Salvation, that's a big thing. All right? Now the greatest main needs in a safe person's life is wisdom and revelation knowledge and strength to do God's will. Wisdom and revelation knowledge and strength to do God's will. And the prayers of Paul address and focus mostly on the main needs in people's lives. You know, Paul was a praying man, but he had a lot of people to pray for and, uh, 
you know, to bring before God and everything else. He wasn't going to waste, waste his time with just a little stuff. You know, <laughs> he, was, he says, I pray all the time. He's the one that says, pray without ceasing. You know, at the end of the day, there are physical limitations on how much and how long we can pray because we've still only got 24 hours in the day and, you know, we've got to spend some of that time talking to people and interacting with others and working and so forth. And, and, and so, so let's hit the main stuff. That's what we're saying. And then a lot of the little stuff will take care of itself. Let me talk to you about one of those main needs, then receiving wisdom and revelation knowledge. And here's that prayer here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. Paul the Apostle speaking, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What that means is in plain English, Paul says, I'm praying for you guys a lot. Okay. He says, verse 17, and here it is, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. In wisdom and revelation in knowing God. The big stuff. He says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened or illuminated or lit up. He says that you may know what is the hope of, your call, of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. You know, Vanessa and I talk about things at various times, uh, uh, as you all do with married couples, you talk about this and how can we improve that and what can we do here and, and, and you know, how, how, how can we help the kids and what's happening here and how, how about these people and how about that person over here. You know, we've developed the saying over the years that it's by revelation. If somebody's to change, they need revelation. They, people's lives change by revelation. Not by having more money. I'm just mentioning that. It's something that everybody can identify with. Uh, it's by revelation. So revelation is the big thing. Revelation becomes the trigger point for a person to change. Now, in some instances, uh, uh, you know, a person's physical need can drive them toward God and, and that they start seeking God. But that's not necessarily God's best. God's best is that people suddenly like, they become aware of, 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 of the need for God in their lives. And uh, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit already. But it's absolutely by revelation. So, so what that means in essence is that Paul was praying for God to give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now we call the Holy Spirit the spirit of wisdom and revelation and it's not wrong to do that. But specifically this passage here is not, when it talks about the spirit of wisdom and revelation, it's not referring to the Holy Spirit, it's referring to, to people's own spirit. How many of you know that we are spirit, soul and body? We are a three-part being. And the Bible speaks of people's spirit being dull, being, being uh, you know, just in the dark, just being spiritually dense without meaning you know, without wanting to be rude, just, just dull and dense. The Bible speaks of a spirit of stupor, which means the people are just absolutely not with it. They're just disconnected from spiritual reality. All right? And so he's saying that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And that comes when the Holy Spirit moves on our spirit. He's the one that illuminates. He's the one that brings the light. He's the one that that helps people to open up their eyes. I don't mean their natural eyes. I mean their spiritual eyes. It says that the eyes of their understanding or the eyes of their heart will be 
illuminated. See, our spirit has got eyes. See, our physical body has eyes, but our spirit has eyes too. And that's what he's talking about there. So as they, as they receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that would lead to the, their eyes, the eyes of their understanding being enlightened. And this will result in them knowing what is the hope of God's calling. You know, God's called us. He's called us to spend eternity with Him. Life's not just uh, you know glorious when we get to the other side, but this life on this on this side we should experience heaven on earth. And whatever that hope is, whatever all all of that is entailed, that God would show that to them, knowing what are the riches of God's inheritance for the saints. That you know Jesus died and He left an inheritance. That inheritance is eternal life, which carries on and on and on. Uh, on into heaven and then throughout eternity. <laughs> That's a better alternative than spending eternity in hell. And there is no third option. Or knowing what is God's exceedingly great power toward us who believe. So all of that comes by receiving a spirit or having a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We pray this quite a bit. For this house, people in this house. And people have said that, wow, you know, when I came into this house, I received such revelation. It's such revelation. Well, God's answering prayers. All right. That's because of the prayers, and that's because of the gift that's operating in the house to bring illumination. So the question could be asked what's the main problem in a spiritually lost person's life? Well, it's listed here just a couple of chapters, three chapters later, in Ephesians 4, verse 17. Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Paul, the apostle, speaking to the church in Ephesus, he's saying, he's saying don't walk like everybody else does. Gentiles mean, meaning non-Jewish, meaning, uh, meaning uh, you know, just people, unsafe people. He says, don't walk like they walk. How do they walk? Well, they walk in the futility of their mind. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened. Hello. You see the contrast here? Having our, the eyes of our understanding enlightened, well, theirs is darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So what that means is that people, lost people, lack the light of the gospel, which results in their understanding being darkened. Now you can have the brightest minds that are just onto it. I mean, as far as the sciences are concerned, as far as, far as academia is concerned, just having insight into all sorts of things. And, and people say, wow, they're just a really intelligent, wise person. But God, <laughs> God calls that foolish. And he says he has the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. The foolishness of the preaching of the gospel. So that people have the option to step into the wisdom of God. Because what does it profit a man if against the whole world yet loses his own soul? So that, that uh, lost people lacking the light of the gospel then it means that it results in their ignorance and blindness of heart uh, alienating them 
from the, from the life of God. Blindness of heart rather than illumination of heart. Can you see that? Now, that's not something that we, we should go around blaming people for that. You know, a per, ignorance is if, if a person just doesn't know, they just don't know. And that's why God says it's our responsibility as the church to share Christ with people so that they can come into that illumination and into that experience of being saved for themselves. And here it is in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, it says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the gospel, of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Verse 6, For God, who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made His light shine in our hearts, so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul the Apostle is, uh, is uh, contrasting between himself and saved people and lost people. And that blows the theory of universalism right out the water. That you know, universalism says that everybody's a child of God and everybody goes to heaven. That is not true. All right. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And everybody's in need of salvation. And salvation is in none other but in Jesus Christ. So that's telling us here that uh, uh, Satan blinds the minds of the people. And it is the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, which is the light that illuminates the darkened hearts of lost people. Let me read that uh, same verse here, verse 6 out of the uh, uh, Wust translation, which is again just another modern translation. It says, God shined it in our hearts, resulting in an illumination being given of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. The reason why we pray for God to give him a spirit of wisdom and revelation, because our prayers create an opening, create a crack in people's hearts, in people's lives, so that they're open for the gospel, the light of the gospel to shine in there. So hearts are being prepared. So when they receive the gospel, they don't immediately, you know, uh, you know, push it back or say, oh, that's not for me or, or, or whatever. And by the way, we should never be put off by somebody's negative reaction towards the gospel because not everybody receives the gospel the first time they hear it. But once the light's in, and then once it's in there, it can shine around, and it can, the seed of the gospel then can do its work and the Holy Spirit moving on that person and moving on that person and maneuvering that person towards a place of surrender in Jesus Christ. So what do we pray for? We pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I think that is one of the main, 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 main issues. Once people are saved, a lot of them needs just slot you know, into place and everything just gets resolved and sorted out. Is this helping anybody? Of course, if all we did was pray for lost people and not share the gospel with them, they will still remain in spiritual darkness and spiritually lost. All right? So there has to be a preaching of the gospel. There has to be, people have to be brought under the sound of the gospel, whether that's in a one-on-one -on -one 
type scenario where we pass on a booklet or a tract or a DVD or take them through a G7 presentation or invite them to a meeting in church where they hear the gospel or to a special event or whatever we end up doing. The prayers have to be, we've got to put some legs on the prayers and still bring the light. We only, the prayers only create the crack in people's lives so that the gospel can shine in there, but the gospel needs to shine and it is actually the gospel that is that light. Praise God. The second thing that is one of the main things uh, covered in Paul's prayers is being filled with the knowledge of God's will. In fact, I've memorized some of those verses and in my prayer and thing, I just, you know, a lot of it kind of just gets smashed together and trampled together. But uh, typically if I pray for anybody for any length of time, it'll always be, Lord, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation, the eyes of their understanding being lightened, because I know that revelation becomes a trigger point for them to make a move in the right direction. I know once, once people have a revelation, they will, they will step out of their addictions. Once people have a revelation, they, it, just, it, just, it, it is the starting point of transformation. Second one here is being filled with the knowledge of God's will. And we find that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, uh, and through to verse uh, uh, 10. And by the way, um, some of these prayers that Paul prayed, some of them are similar, and he covers the same thing in, in just different letters that he's written to different churches. So if there's a bit of an overlap, don't be concerned. All right, in Colossians 1, 9, he says, For this reason I have always prayed for you, Pray for who? For the Colossian church. He says, I've always prayed for you ever since I heard about you. We ask God to fill you with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Here it is again. Wisdom and spiritual understanding that His Spirit gives. So as we pray for people, the Holy, Holy Spirit power is released into people's lives. We talk about an invasion of the Holy Spirit into people's lives to come and to stir their hearts and to create a hunger within them and to point out the, 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 their lost condition so that people are starting to search. And how do you know it's much easier to get a, a searching person saved than what it is to get a person that is not searching, but it's the Holy Spirit hovering over them and touching down and touching them and speaking to them in visions and in dreams and, and stirring their hearts that creates an, an openness in their heart. It's interesting, the Bible speaks of hardness of heart and it speaks of blindness of heart. You know, when people have hardened their heart, they've heard the gospel and they don't want it, that's called hardness of heart. But blindness of heart is simply a condition that people do not know. They simply have not heard the gospel yet and it's our responsibility to make that happen. He says, filled with the knowledge of His will, with all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, then you will be able to live as the Lord wants. Then. So in other words, once you're filled with the knowledge of God's will, then you will be able uh, to live as God wants and will always do what pleases Him. Your lives will produce all kinds of good deeds. Another translation says you will live fruitful lives, that we produce fruit, productive lives, he says, and you will grow in the knowledge of God. So Paul's really covering the, the, main, the main things here in his prayer. So basically he said, he said, I'm asking that God fill you with the knowledge of his will. So again, it has to do with illumination. What is God's will for my life? What is God's purpose for me? 
And of course, we've learned that God's purpose for us is summed up in five purposes. Uh, worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism. The life of a believer, if we're fulfilling those purposes, we are fulfilling God's, God's plan for our lives. Alright, that's in a general sense, and of course in a specific sense, you know, as many people are wondering, what am I supposed to be doing? Well, being filled with the knowledge of God's will will, will solve that. And, and more often than not, as we just step forward and get involved and, and do something, we'll soon find that there's a trigger point somewhere, and suddenly we're finding ourselves in the middle of God's will, being fully satisfied that we're fulfilling God's will for our lives. So as they're filled with the knowledge of God's will, uh, that would lead to them being able to live as God wants them to live. All right. Uh, it means that they're always doing what God pleases Him. Their lives producing all kinds of good deeds and then growing in the knowledge of God. I don't know about you, but I read some of these verses and sometimes I, before I even get to the second verse, I'm already lost. There's just too much in there. How do you know that in the... Uh, in the uh, uh, Hebrew and in the Greek language, there's no punctuation, they tell us. There's no punctuation. It just goes on and on. You know, in the English, we have sentences so we can get our head around before we get to the next sentence. We put a full stop there and just have a bit of moment to think about it, to, to get our head around it and everything. So what I do is I, I take the, the verse and I break it up into one-liners and then I can get my head around it. And uh, So here it is. If we're filled with the knowledge of God's will, we will be able to live a life uh, that he wants us to live. So even living right goes back to Revelation. A lot of people live just confused lives because they just don't know. Uh, and um, and always being able to do what God what pleases God, it goes back to Revelation. Um, and so when we have a revelation that we've been, we've been bought with a price, that we're no longer our own, that we're not to live for ourselves, but we're to live for God, and that is what produces happiness, that's a revelation. Well, I'm running around and say, what about me? What about, what about my needs? And while we run around doing that, we are, we are really outside of, disconnected from God's purposes. It's developing a sense of otherness rather than a sense of meanness. Are we all right this morning? <laughs> Praise God. So, let's build that into our prayers and watch results. Praying for people to receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And praying that God would fill them, and for that matter, fill us with the knowledge of God's will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In all wisdom. In all wisdom. You see, when we understand God and God's plan for our lives, a lot of the other things will slot into place. It's been said before that if I were to put on my shirt and get the top button out, then every other button will be out. So have you know that when kids dress themselves in the morning, you know, I can dress myself and, you know, wherever they start at the bottom or at the, at the top or whatever, but you get the first button wrong, every other button will be wrong. And that's why people's lives are so jumbled up. They, they, you know, it's seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness. As, as, uh, as strange as what that sounds to the natural mind, it's like, well, what about if I, you know, live to please somebody else? What about me? Well, suddenly everything just slots into place. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other needs will be met besides. Same is true in the area of our finances. We put God first. We tithe and we bring an offering expecting that the windows of heaven will be open as God promised. 
suddenly things just work out and slot into place. If, if bills determine whether I can tithe or not, I've started to walk by sight rather than walk by faith. And as soon as I'm walking by sight, I'm in the area of the circumstances and I'm in the, in the arena where the devil operates and I can't defeat the devil by walking by sight. I can only defeat the devil when I walk by faith. The third area <clears throat> that uh, Paul covers in his prayers, which I will call again a, one of the biggies, one of the main things, is being strengthened by God's Spirit. So what that means is that once we know God's will for our lives, we need God's strength to carry it out. The Holy Spirit is the strength of our lives. His Word built into us develops a, a faith and a strength so we not just know what God wants us to do, but we've got the strength to live it out. This is where a lot of frustration comes in with people's lives. When they know, they know what they're supposed to be doing, but they just haven't got the strength to carry it out. That's why I'm almost making a daily, a daily uh, uh, exercise. Is Lord, fill me with your spirit today. Lord, fill me with your spirit, because when I'm filled up spiritually, I can do the things that I know I'm supposed to be doing. But if I'm not filled, if I tried in my own strength, or worse still, if I tried by sheer willpower or in the flesh, I'm just not going to get there. I might, I might, in a kind of a legalistic sense, but I just grip my teeth and I get it right a couple of days, but on the third day I fail again. <laughs> just filled with the knowledge of God's will and then filled with the Spirit to strengthen us. I don't know, it cannot get any more simple and any more basic than that. That's why I will be pretty quick. If somebody gets born again, I'll be pretty quick to follow up and say, hey, time to get filled with the Holy Ghost now. Time to get filled with the Spirit. Time to start speaking in tongues. And as you speak in tongues, uh, you're going to edify yourself and build yourself up and you get filled. And, and when, when you're strong, you, you, you can do anything that God asks you to do. You see, when, when my inner strength, when my inner strength exceeds the strength of, a, of say, an addiction in my life, I, I can break that addiction overnight. But while this thing is stronger than my spirit, you see, it's in our spirit where God strengthens us. And of course we pray and God strengthens us mentally and physically and all of that's important. But the spirit is the primary area where God wants to fill us. The Bible says it is the spirit of man that is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts. We're not a mind. We're a spirit. Praise God for a strong mind. If people have developed a strong mind, fantastic. But a strong mind won't get us to heaven. It's a strong spirit that gets us to heaven to lay a hold of the things by faith. Faith is of the heart. Faith is of the spirit. It's not of the mind. And so as God touches our spirit and God visits people and just stirs their, their heart and brings that illumination, brings that understanding and you know there's uh, sometimes a restlessness and people get restless and, and being restless is not a, not a bad thing because it shakes us out of our where we are to move us towards where we are supposed to be. But once we're in God, there's no more need to be restless. Ephesians 3, these are all, a lot of them out of Ephesians where Paul really just laid out the, the main needs that he prayed for. Verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he will grant you or that he will give you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now the inner man is a person's heart, it's their spirit. It's the eternal part of them. The Bible says the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is renewed day by day. In our spirit we don't grow old. Our spirit knows no age. Alright? Having said that there is a maturing. You know, in our spirit, if we have been walking with the Lord for two years, three years, five years, three months, there ought to be some development of maturity there. But other than that, our spirit knows no age. It doesn't grow weary. It doesn't grow old uh, in, in the sense of, you know, just frailty and so forth. It'll only grow weak if we stop feeding it and if we stop being filled with the Holy Ghost. That you will be strengthened with might through God's Spirit in our inner man. So the Holy Spirit comes along and infuses our spirit with His strength. And suddenly I look at something and suddenly I feel bigger than the problem rather than the problem staring down on me and saying, you're powerless, I'm here to stay. And I say, no, you're not here to stay. <laughs> I can change situations. I can change problems. Strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So that's what Paul was doing. He was praying for them, that, that they will be strengthened with might by or through God's Spirit in the inner man. So, you see, that's why when we pray for an outpouring of the Spirit over our cities and our nation, outpouring of the Spirit, you know, the Spirit of God just doesn't come and settle down on trees and streets and chimneys. He moves into people's lives, settles down on their, on their heart and begins to stir and bring that the illumination of that understanding. And this is, it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for people to give a testimony after they got saved. Say, wow, just, uh, just something came on me and I, I, knew, I knew I had to get to church the next day. And this is the non-church-going people. I mean, church-going people should know better. But non-church, you know, unsaved people, I knew I had to. And you know, there's that stir. How does that happen? It's the Holy Ghost invading their lives. It's the Spirit of God coming to just invade their lives, invade their mind and their heart and, and, and reevaluate priorities in their lives. So them being strengthened with might would lead to Christ fully dwelling in their hearts through faith. Now for our information, Christ dwells in the heart of every believer. But here it's speaking about a fullness thereof and, and then Christ dwelling there and feeling welcome and feeling feeling that this is a good place. Them being rooted and grounded in love. In other words, that they're growing in the soil of love. They've moved out of the soil of hatred, of unforgiveness, of harboring ill will towards people. They've moved out of that. They're now growing in the soil of love. 
How do you know that the soil of love is a much better place to live in than the hardness of the ground of harboring unforgiveness and you know just getting stomach ulcers because we we're so full knotted up with all sorts of uh, stuff that goes on. I said it a couple of weeks ago, but friend, if there's issues in your life where people have harmed you or wronged you, let it go. It's killing you. You know, we've said it before, but sometimes it's like we got this thing of sometimes when somebody harms us, you know, we got them in a special place in our heart, in a, you know, in a prison there. We got them all locked up and we bring them out and smack them over, stick them back in again. But in all reality, my wife's shaking her head, we don't do that. No, we don't. In all reality, if that's what we did, we're only harming ourselves. All right? Somebody, somebody else can't, can't harm me by harboring ill will towards me. It's not going to harm me. It's going to harm them. That's why God says, forgive if you've got all against anybody. Let it go. Let it go. Cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. How good is that? So again, being strengthened, uh, them uh, grow, uh, growing in, you know, being rooted and grounded in love, then being able to comprehend and know the magnitude of Christ's love. And by the way, the Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. You see, we have the Holy Ghost in our lives and along with the Holy Spirit, we've got the love of God, which is an unconditional love. We can love people, even the unkind and the unlovely, we can still love them. It's possible to do that. All right, and then being filled with all the fullness of God. If I'm filled with all the fullness of God, I'm striding through life, and uh, and a lot of the issues and problems uh, uh, just seem seem insignificant. But if I'm not filled, then the problem seems so significant. It's a bit like the ten spies, the twelve spies that went into the promised land, coming out of Egypt, and ten of them said, "Oh, there's giants in the land." And we are like grasshoppers in our own side, and they're going to eat us up. And we're not, we, we, we know God's placed it there, the promised land for us, but we can't have it. It's always putting everything out of reach. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, and the two, two men had a spirit of faith on their lives. They said, let us go in at once. He says, we can overcome them. He says, they will be like bread to us. And so it's all about if we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we're much taller spiritually. But if we're not filled, we're deflated and everything. So if, if somehow things are bearing down on your life right now, and it seems like overwhelming, I'm telling you, it's, a, it's, it's just about balloons. Whichever one you inflate the most. You inflate the problem, it just gets bigger and bigger. And some people are really good at that. They talk about the problem all the time. As if talking about the problem could fix the problem. Talking about the problem is not going to fix the problem. It's speaking the word to this thing. It's speaking to the mountains in our lives. It's letting it know that it's changing. It's moving out of our lives. So once again, the little things in people's lives are fixed by fixing the big things. Some needs in people's lives are met when their main needs are met. And what are the main needs? Well, we've listed them before. In uh, an unsafe person's life, the main need is salvation. And actually, salvation is not just a thing, it's a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. That's why uh, in, in uh, John 3.16, it tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 